0: Atomic batteries to power, turbines to speed. Roger, ready to move out.
1: Too many men on the field, Saskatchewan Gizmo has a block and the sideline He has not stepped out, he may go all the way He needs one block and he'll do it easily
2: Promise, mess, I wouldn't do this
1: David stops up, what a move, shoots, scores!
2: have no idea what kind of shit show we're in for today because i'm 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 recording robin not from my usual studio the road 55 studio in beautiful downtown edmonton windswept snow swept this morning as well i might add but i'm at home and uh so i have no none of our regular music i was able to find a little bit of that i've got no idea how this is going to shake down today but i know we've got a great show on the way Bryn griffiths along with Robin Brownlee. It's The Outsiders, episode 92, I think. And it's brought to you by, well, it's brought to you by Brent McIntosh and the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. And joining us, our first guest today from the Royal York Hotel. It must be High T. He's joining us. It's AJ Jakubik from Ottawa, even though he's in Toronto, and he was in Hamilton, and who knows where the hell he's going to be this week. AJ, how you doing?
1: outstanding yeah it pays to have uh, friends who have brothers that are high up in the fairmont system so
2: nice well i love the royal york it's a great hotel absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic i like the hotel mac i've loved the palliser in calgary for the longest time all of these places you know we we go on and on about uh, the fairmont folks oh and my favorite of them all jpl love golfing at jasper park lodge Try to get there every year when I can. Okay, anyway, that's the commercial for Fairmont. Uh, Let's talk about your day yesterday, a very exciting day as we continue to watch this Canadian men's national soccer team going through this World Cup qualifying. They've yet to lose and uh, another big victory in Hamilton over the Americans. How was the atmosphere yesterday?
1: Yeah, it was fantastic. There were 12,000 people there, but it it sounded like a heck of a lot more. And I think uh, just the way the ticket system went, because you had to have had to to get into the first lottery, you had to be on on their list by a certain date after the Edmonton game, right? So I mean, the the demand for tickets is so high. And they sold that one out in in record time to the point where there are a lot of diehards that didn't get their tickets, right? That's the the drawback. Hey, I'll take that drawback any day, Uh, you know, just to see the type of interest that that we're finally seeing in in soccer in this country and on the men's national team in this country. So uh, then basically they, because of capacity limits, everyone got a refund, but anyone who had tickets to the game got a code. So it got halved down to 12,000. But yeah, it was still a great atmosphere. I mean, the Voyagers, the uh, Canada supporters section had about oh, 2,500 people in it. And um, 12,000 certainly looked and felt like a lot more, which, um, yeah, it's just a, a storybook type run that, that we're seeing right now. I kind of liken it in Ottawa, for example, to when the Ottawa Senators first made the playoffs in, in 1997. You only get kind of one first run like that um 2006 I think in Edmonton for a lot of people was the same thing if they didn't experience the glory years there where holy cow we actually get to to go deep and and experience this and and it's special no matter what you end up doing in the end it's about the destination for sure and the destination is you want to get to Qatar but it is about the journey and this journey uh you know getting points at the Azteca Stadium in Mexico getting a, a point in uh, in Nashville against the United States. And uh, really from the point where Alfonso Davies scored one of the most incredible goals you can ever see in Panama, where I think the casual fan really started to climb on board with this club. That was a real special moment in Toronto to the two games in Edmonton at the Ice Teca uh, against Costa Rica and Mexico, where they froze two Latin American countries to, to victory. And then, yeah, anytime you get, Canada and the United States in any sport, certainly in soccer and hockey, men's, women's, whatever, any sport, it's gonna be special because there's a rivalry there. And while it's been pretty dormant on the men's side and pretty one-sided for the last really three decades, that, that was a special day and a special win. And, and yeah, there, there's so many moments on this journey that if you were there for them, or even if you watch them at home, uh, these are moments that people will remember the rest of their
3: lives now aj you talk about that and i'll lend a little uh old guy perspective Uh, (laughs) i was a relatively young reporter at the kamloops daily news in 1986 the last time uh canada uh, went to the world cup i don't know how how old you were in 86 but i imagine Uh, you were just a kid it's interesting to me and exciting to me because as I remember it back then it was because Bob Lenarduzzi and Carl Valentine who were Vancouver Whitecaps in the NASL were on that team Tony Waiters was a part of that team uh, in the coaching staff I look at the dates now and I go okay 86 so for 30 a lot of the demographic that's pumping their fists and waving the flag now weren't even born in 1986 yeah. and to and to bring this excitement to a brand new generation of kids that to me is what's really great because for a lot of them it maybe hasn't been that long because some of them haven't had to wait since 1986 yeah and i i was 11
1: uh for, for that world cup i remember it well i mean i it was games were in June and I remember coming home from school. There were midweek games where you would tape them on the VCR and you'd come home and, and, and watch them as, as I did. But it, it's just amazing how things have changed. And, and you, you mentioned some of the big names and they're pioneers in Canadian soccer, the, the, the Bob Leonard doozies, the Carl Valentine's, the, the Bruce Wilson's and so on and so forth. But you know, the, the reality now is we've got players that are global superstars. Uh, Those were players that were really good Canadians, but you put them together as a group. And once they got to the big stage, you know, they, you know, I think the rest is history. They didn't win. They didn't score a goal. They they played three pretty good European teams in France, the Soviet Union and Hungary. But, you know, this is a team that I I think some of the excitement and why, you know, a lot of people can get behind them across the country. Number one, you can pretty much get behind anything when you wrap the flag around it. Right. But you, you've got, you've got players that are global superstars, starting with, of course, Edmonton's own Alfonso Davies, and, and just seeing his excitement yesterday, not playing, uh, you know, unfortunately. Hey, don't, don't, with... don't,
2: don't you think he should calm down just a little, a little worried about the <laughs> yeah, old Yeah, for,
1: for the hearts, for sure. No. <laughs> amazing though. Amazing. Yeah. And, and I think that, I mean, there's a lot of ways you can go with that, but it it's, it's just fascinating. And, and, and so much has changed. I, I mean, I think of, it was hard being a soccer fan back then. I, I mean, I, I've been a soccer fan since, like, I remember I was five, six, seven years old, and I remember going to games, some of my first games that I remember. I remember going to early 80s Oilers and back when there were the Eskimos, going to see that that dynasty team as well at the tail end of the five straight Great Cups. And then the Trappers came in, and I believe 1981. But, but I remember going to some of those games at Commonwealth Stadium in the North American Soccer League. But The Drillers. <laughs> if you think about 20 years, like in the eighties and nineties, like it's amazing how things changed in, in that time period, Mm -hmm. being a soccer fan in this country in that time period was hard because you would, once the drillers left, you would watch the world cup. I remember watching the 82 world cup. It was one of the first sporting memories that I truly remember. And then there was nothing. There was literally nothing between that and 1986. Yeah, You, You didn't, You didn't turn on the television and watch English soccer. You didn't turn on the television and watch the European cup or anything like that. You you just didn't get it. And so then you waited four years, you got the world cup and, and then you waited again. And I think back to, you know, watching Graham Leggett and soccer Saturday, which started in the late eighties on TSN (laughs) and, and you were getting week old English division one games. Sometimes you'd get the good team. Sometimes they'd give you a Luton and, queens park queens park rangers and 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 it was a week old and and you liked it because that's all you got right yeah yeah and now you get everything and anything and so people can watch the zone or watch uh turn on their televisions and watch Alfonso davies not just you know once every few months when he's representing canada they can watch him weekly while he's playing for Bayern munich so it has changed so much and and it's great that we have that ability. It's great that we have professional teams in this country, um, you know, three in MLS and eight in the Canadian Premier League, where if you're a fan in one of those cities, you can go and and watch professional soccer each and every week. And and so much of what Canada is built on, so much has been brought up about Davies and David, Davies and David, and, and for good reason. They're the two best players in, in the region, in Kalkaka. They are global stars. Davies at Bayern Munich, Jonathan David's going to be bought. He's, I mean, he's in the round of 16 of the Champions League with Lille. They shocked PSG last year to win Ligue 1 in France, but he's going to go to a big sick club in England or maybe one of the big clubs in Spain. And, and he's going to be right there as well. But so much of the success of Canada, as we saw yesterday, as we saw in the three wins where they won without Davies is just the entire group. And, and you look at players like Daniil Henry and Mark Anthony Kaye and, and, and Maxim Crapo. I mean, these are guys that came through Ottawa, either as home players or away players. And so these are the type of players that would come through Edmonton playing in the Canadian Premier League where, you know, maybe at 21, 22 years old out of university, they wouldn't have had a place to play. And now they do have a place to play. And from there, they can move to MLS or move to Europe and take those next steps. And that's, that's the strength of where we're at now. It's not about one or two players. It's the depth that we have, and, and, and it's showing in this qualifying round.
2: Well, here, we're three older guys, so we do remember going back to that, that World Cup and how special it was. We're going to talk more, I know, over the next months about this spe- specific team. The thing that's interesting to me is the demographic. The demographic here, and here's the real change. The demographic that's now really tuned into these games this hasn't been developed through the men's program. This has been developed through the women's program. It's completely opposite. A lot of the people who are really attracted to this game have been turned on by Christine Sinclair and the success of the women's program in the early 2000s. And it's just been, we've seen that. And and John Herdman, of course, is the the guy that that you can tie together with both programs, obviously. But it's fun to see how uh, this is developed. This is developed very unlike a lot of other uh sports in our country where it's always been the guys that have set the have really set the table for where we've been going now i see the table was set back in the early 2000s with that women's team and now the guys have really picked up the pace and now we've got both a men's and a women's program that are on the radar screen i I love it i just think there's so many great positives out of all this aj
1: yeah it is fantastic And, and no doubt i mean yeah you you go back it was what 2002 that uh U-19 event in Edmonton. I was living in Edmonton at the time. So certainly remembered just the buildup, right? To, oh, yeah. to the fact that you had 50,000 plus. And it was very organic.
2: It was a very organic thing. People just kind of, yeah. well, maybe let's go. It, look, it looked like they're having some fun. It's Canada. Let's go and cheer them on. And everybody just absolutely embraced it. And and it just seems like from that point on, and then when you take a look at the participation numbers across Canada, it's the number one participation sport in the country by a lot, because it's cheap and inexpensive to play, but that, that you're right. That, I mean, that whole thing, just, it just kind of, it really kind of moved the dial.
1: Yeah. And just, you know, like we we've shown as a country, you bring international events here, 2002 was, was one instance. And and that was a big reason why the U twenties came on the men's side in 2007. I remember I was in Ottawa at that point and they were getting 25,000 a game. And it didn't matter if, it was Argentina playing or if it was Jamaica playing or, or Nigeria. Uh, so th- that event was, was well attended, which led to Canada getting the Women's World Cup, which was a well attended and very successful event as well, which of course led to us you know, getting uh, to host 2026. And I think the lead up to 2026, and part of the reason I'm really happy for the program, had they had a bit of a dud in qualifying again, It would have felt, I think, for many across the country that, okay, we're back in a World Cup, but we don't really belong there. Yeah. It's only there as hosts. Yeah. But now, no matter what happens from here on in, and it looks like it's a formality that Canada is going to qualify. I think it's at 99.7% on sportsclubstats.com. And so everyone's going to know that Canada went through the front door in 2022. And so 2026 it's going to feel like there's all this momentum building and, and the momentum is building on the men's side, but a lot of it has been built on the women's side as well. And in particular, I mean, that was a big event for Edmonton for sure. And it caught caught the interest of soccer fans that were across the country, but really 2012 was kind of the watershed moment for that women's team because, you know, I, I think we all recognize they got screwed a little bit and they oh, showed yeah such class and poise through a difficult period and came back and won the bronze and 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 so it's been a decade in the making in terms of what they have done on the women's side and at the same time the men's program everyone's just dying for this program to to kind of get up off the mat and 10 years ago the you know it was rock bottom for this program they lost 8-1 in a game where they're as close as they'd been really since 1994, when they had that uh, home and away with Australia, with, with the home leg being played in, in, at Commonwealth Stadium, ended up losing on penalties and, and were you know, basically one penalty kick away from going to play Argentina for a spot in the World Cup. But, but since 94, 2012 was as close as we got to, to at least qualifying for a World Cup or at least getting to the last stage. And because it ended so horrifically, you lose 8-1 in Honduras, You follow that up, the next 12 or 13 games, they scored, like, two goals. Yeah. And and so they hit rock bottom. I think ELO rankings, which, you know, it's the ranking that I – there's the FIFA ranking, which gets criticized a lot, because, for example, the U.S. is 11th in the the FIFA ranking. They're 21st in the ELO. They are the 21st best team. They're nowhere near the 11th best team, and we saw that yesterday. Canada was down in the 90s 10 years ago. We're, We're up to 24th right now. I know like we're legitimately the 24th best team in the world and rising. It's, it's incredible to see the transformation over the course of the last decade. And yeah, I mean the interest, a lot of it has been fueled over the last decade by that fantastic women's program, but it's nice to see the men's program finally kind of get to where they should
3: be. Now, AJ, you mentioned the, the depth and that's when I look at this team, I mean, I went back to 86 and as, as you said uh, it was fun. Uh, getting there was all the fun because it, they weren't going to win anything uh, or score. Then. This this team, um, you know, you mentioned David and Davies and some other players. This tell me about this. Uh, what is it, Kyle Laren, who got the. <laughs> One nothing goal. I don't know the man, but what I do know is a guy who looks like he can play and he's a, he's a young player, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Does this team have a enough depth where you can't just circle those Davis and Davies to, uh, and if you shut them down, Canada has no hope. Is this a team that's good enough to make some noise if they get the kind of contributions uh, from the rest of the roster that it looks like they might be able to.
1: Yeah, one of the turning points, I think, for, for Canada, I, they, they competed in the Gold Cup this summer, but because they were lower ranked, they had to basically do the milk run just to get to this final group in World Cup qualifying. So they had to beat the Cayman Islands, Bermuda, Aruba, Suriname, and then yeah. Haiti home and home. So they played those six games earlier in the year, which preceded the Gold Cup, which is, you know, the, the North American uh Confederation Championship. And because they didn't want to burn out their players, I mean, this is really taxing, right? I mean, we're talking about it's gonna be 20 World Cup qualifiers over the course of a year, and these are all played in conjunction with their club seasons. So it, it's super taxing for the likes of especially those that go deep in the Champions League, like Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David. So so those players weren't available for uh, for the Gold Cup. They gave those players a rest, Milan Borian, Atiba Hutchinson, and they went with, I, I don't want to say it's their B-side, but, but without four or five really key players and some of the best players on the team. And they went to the Gold Cup and and they made some noise. They lost to the Americans 1-0. They ended up uh, getting to the quarterfinals where they dominated Costa Rica, who's really over the course of the last decade, they've been the third best team in CONCACAF behind the United States and Mexico. Then they got to the semifinals against Mexico in Houston. There were 70,000 people there. I think 69,800 were cheering for Mexico. And in a real tough environment with some difficult calls that went against them, they ended up tying it, but falling late in the 99th minute, right towards the end of stoppage time and and fell 2-1. But you could see that they went toe-to-toe with the Americans. They went toe-to-toe with the Mexicans without their best players. And I think we started to see, I mean, Kyle Lahren at that point was hurt. He played early games in that tournament, but he's a guy that uh, played this year in the Champions League. He was the top scorer for the best team in Turkey, which is a top 10 league in the world. Um, but but it goes beyond him as well. It, it's, it's Stephanie Ustakiu who's just, uh, I mean, and he was missing for these last two games because he got, COVID. And hopefully he's going to be ready for El Salvador. Uh, but, you know, this is a guy that just got a move to, to FC Porto, which is uh, basically one of the biggest clubs in Portugal and uh, one of the bigger clubs in Europe. So it's Ayushtaki, it's Alistair Johnson and Kamal Miller who have emerged on defense. It's Calgary Sam Adekubi who, you know, was kind of toiled in obscurity and really started to make a name for himself playing in Turkey. And then we saw how good he was in those two games at Edmonton and he was uh, for my money along with Borean best player on the pitch yesterday so yep. yeah yeah it, it is about the depth and I I think John hurt John Hurtman's just done a masterful job because he, he just has this group believing I, I mean you, you'll watch that game yesterday and the United States probably has more depth in talent than, than Canada does they, they don't have a player as good as Davies or David in my opinion but they they do have more depth but he's just got everyone buying in. And, and when I watch the United States, they look disjointed. They look like a bunch of individuals. Whereas I watch Canada and they're just all in it as one. I mean, you see the excitement every time they score, you see how they all stand up for each other when something goes wrong. It, it's uh, it's fun to watch. And John Herdman des- deserves a lot of credit for how he's handled uh, this, this group and, and just getting people to, to buy in.
2: Not only is the team buying in, but he's got the country buying in. Like when he he talks about the fan support in the country, you can just feel that he's found a way not only to get the players playing for him, but to get the fans playing for him as well. Hey, listen, we don't have a ton of time. So there's two quick little things I want to get to. We'll get to your adventure coming up in a second. But the other thing that I was fascinated by is that Yesterday on the television broadcast, it was uh, it was divulged that both Edmonton and Toronto's bids with FIFA went over very big and that we're expecting those host city announcements to come down toward the end of March or early April. I'm guessing right now both Edmonton and Toronto will be hosting games. Only two cities I heard mentioned. I thought there were I thought Montreal was involved but I think they're I don't know what's yeah, going Montreal on there dropped
1: out, yeah yeah
2: so, and we know what Vancouver's story is so I, I don't really see very much stopping Edmonton and Toronto from hosting games which is great you uh, you've been around a fair bit I think that both cities will do a fantastic job the the other thing too is that uh, you're about to go on an adventure you're right now in Toronto but what are you doing this week?
1: Yeah, I'm flying to San Salvador, actually, uh, this afternoon. Oh, that's
2: it? That's all you're doing?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I've decided, I mean, I decided at the start of the run that I wanted to go to as many road games as possible and was able to get to the Azteca Stadium. Azteca was like top five bucket list item for me. I've been fortunate to be able to travel and see a lot of events, whether it's, you know, Grey Cups, Stanley Cups, World Juniors, Olympics, Super Bowls, Final Fours college football national championships so um yeah I mean Azteca was one of the big ones for me because it hosted the 1970 and 1986 world cup finals and Pele won one Maradona won the other and yeah it just has so much history and so that was a pretty cool experience and, and yeah going to games in Toronto and Edmonton and Hamilton has been fantastic but you know some El Salvador is a place that I probably wouldn't decide to go to if not for soccer right so I feel like it's it's a pretty cool experience just to kind of go and experience a different uh, country and just to see what it's all about and and watched a lot of videos and and certainly uh, talked to some people that have been there and kind of eased my fears about you know some of the crime Sa- and safety and other issues, issues. Yeah. yeah yeah exactly and so yeah no feeling pretty good it's a direct flight from Toronto so yeah get in there tonight and three nights in San Salvador going to the game on Wednesday and then we'll see it probably uh, probably get to Costa Rica and Panama in the next window as well, but doing that and then uh, off to Colombia for four days because I've never been to South America and wanted to hit up uh, a couple of places there. So going to Medellin and Bogota and a soccer game in each city. And so, uh, yeah, pretty excited about uh, what the next week is going to show because it's, it's been tough as someone that loves to travel. Everyone's been, dealing with so much over the course of the last two years right and so that's my biggest passion to get to get out on the road once again and you know Mexico City was a quick two-day trip but that's the only place I've been in the last two years outside of Canada so to get out for a week even to El Salvador and Colombia I think pretty exciting for me and uh yeah back to three jabs and living life
2: beautiful thanks for your time today enjoy the trip and play safe okay
1: all right. Cheers, guys.
2: So there you go. AJ Jakubik joining us as he's ready to head off on another adventure and having a lot of fun watching the men's national soccer team. Hey, uh, I-, I told you I- we normally don't record. I-, I don't record at home. I recorded the studio. Robin, you're at your beautiful studio in the Southwest portion of the city of Edmonton, but I'm doing this from home today. And I realized when, when I woke up this morning, I don't have any of our normal music. I've been able to find some of it, but normally I just don't do stuff from here. So I don't have, I don't have a Brent Macintosh thing to run for, uh, you know, for for the Macintosh group. So, but so I decided maybe what we'll do today is because the Super Bowl is coming up in, in a couple of weeks then maybe we should uh, maybe do a salute, kind of a takeoff commercial. And this would be a, a presentation on behalf of Brent McIntosh and everybody at the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. So bear with me. This is a special edition for Brent and everybody.
1: Budweiser presents Real American Heroes. Today, we salute you, Mr. Losing Locker Room Reporter. Mr. Losing
2: Locker Room Reporter.
1: Wherever a semi-naked man is crying like a schoolgirl because he lost a ball game, you are there.
3: So sad, too bad now.
1: Why did they lose? Because some millionaire dropped the ball. A millionaire who needs a mic stuck in his face on national television.
0: Oh, no.
1: Go ahead. Wear your cashmere blazer to work. No one's going to pour champagne on it where you're going. they will just losers. So this Bud's for you, oh bringer of bad news. You're not a big loser. You just interview them.
0: Don't want to talk about it.
2: Over this past weekend, we lost a broadcast legend in our country named Ralph Mellenby. And he... I guess we got to talk about his legacy because he, he, he's touched more Canadians than maybe Canadians really know. And joining us to talk about the life of Ralph is our good friend, Steve Lansky. Steve, how are you doing today? I am great, gentlemen. How are you? Fine, thank you. Like I said, it's kind of bittersweet in a lot of ways. Great to see you. Great to have you on. Long overdue. But we're talking about Ralph today. Now, your history as a producer at Hockey Night in Canada goes back to the powder blue jackets. And do you want to talk about how far back you go with Ralph and how far back you go with Hockey Night
0: in Canada? Sure. Um, So I was 17 years old. This cannot be right, but it is. The first time I did stats in the booth for Hockey Night in Canada beside Bob Cole, and it was probably Gary Dornhofer at Northlands Coliseum. It would be October 1979. I know their first game was Jim Robson. So that's the first game I ever worked. So I did stats in the booth for five years at the Coliseum, maybe four. Yeah, four. And then I produced for Hockey Night in Canada. So I went from the bottom rung of the ladder up near the top in about three months, which was very well received by everyone, by the way. And then I did that for five years. So I, I was basically with Hockey Night in Canada for nine years. So who hired you? So who hired you then? So... I'll tell the story really quickly. Uh, I'm in the booth one night working and John Shannon, who's our producer is really pissed off in the truck. What? And I said, what? Yeah, more than usual. I said, John, what, what is the problem? Cause I was a smart ass, you know? And he goes, Lenny quit today. And Lenny was a producer who worked in Calgary with John. And I said, I remember this brand like it was yesterday. I said, Oh, that's too bad. When are you going to hire me? He said, well, you got to send me a resume. I go, we do the game. I go home. I do a resume. I drive to Edmonton Municipal Airport. I put it on the first flight out the next morning. John gets into the office at 11 in the morning and my resume is on his desk. And John said, that's the day I knew I was going to hire you.
3: That's nice. Well done, man. Thank you. You know, it's interesting too. And you, you brought up Jim Robson. And I tell you, for a relatively young guy, You got in early because I'm older than you. And Jim Robson made an impression on me early. I was still in college taking journalism. I needed to talk to Tony Tante. The problem was... Tony Tanti was talking to Jim Robson, and I stood there nervously fidgeting, not knowing what to do. And Jim Robson gave me the wave, like, come on in, kid. You can record, too. This isn't exclusive. And here I am on a student pass to the Canucks game thinking, this is fantastic. Never forgot it. About the area we're talking about now, Steve. Jim is one of those guys wearing those powder blue jackets. I was looking at a photo this morning of all the guys who'd be on the uh, broadcast. That was quite a lineup of special talent, wasn't it?
0: Jim Robson was one of the kindest people I have ever worked with. And and when we look back now, and we let make no mistake, Robin, when we did that show in the 80s, we knew exactly what we were doing. Not that we were experts or geniuses, but we knew what show we were bringing to Canadians that was reminded to us every single time we put on the jacket, we walked in the rink, we had anything to do with hockey night in Canada. And part of that attitude, here comes your segue was Ralph Mellenby. He fostered that in all of us. What kind of guy was he? Oh, wow. Ralph is hard to sum up in just a few words. Um, So, The first time I worked with Ralph, I was a stats guy in the booth. Basically the lowest rung on the ladder of of what you're doing on a television show. Ralph never made any bones about the fact he was a very demanding person. His tone was demanding. His word choices were demanding. His brevity was demanding. Everything about Ralph was demanding. That's okay in that forum. You're on a very tight time frame. It's a time-sensitive business. You don't want to make any mistakes. That was my number one priority as a stats guy. Don't make a mistake. Be timely and don't make a mistake. So I loved working for people like Ralph. Didn't rub everybody the right way, but I always loved that. I always liked people who were direct and said, kid, this is what we need. Don't F it up. And that was kind of Ralph in a nutshell when it came to working during the game and and during planning because most of your job as a producer comes before and after the game when you're planning or deconstructing the game that just went on and there was never any doubt about what ralph wanted that to me would be the one sentence synopsis
3: now steve before we get to the innovations that came during that era and there were a lot of them one thing that sticks out to me uh and you sort of touched on it because there's a team vibe at work here i read a uh, an article about ralph talking to some university or college journalism students and the one thing he said the one word he would use that he thought was the most important to be good at the business and be successful he used the word collaborate um was that his mantra have everybody make sure they're on the same page and get the job done and pull on the rope in the same direction Correct, Robin. But I would say this: when I hear "collaborate," uh,
0: I hear "we'll take input from almost everyone." I don't know that Ralph always solicited that input, and uh, dot dot dot. I don't know that Ralph ever had to solicit that input. Yeah, a lot, a lot of producers, right, Bryn? Uh, I need your input because, quite frankly, I don't have any of my own, and I'm not talking. I'm not going to name any names. Uh, but a lot of hockey nights, current producers might fall into that category, but Ralph never needed the input. Ralph said, look, here's what we're going to do. And does anybody have any problem with that? No, good. Then that's, that's how we're going to move forward. I'll tell one quick story about Ralph that maybe will summarize kind of what I thought of him and how everybody worked with him. So It's the 1985 All-Star Game. It's in Calgary. It's a big frickin' deal for the All-Star Game to be in Calgary. Ralph has retired from Hockey Night, but he's producing the world feed. There's two feeds. There's the host feed, and then there's the world feed. John Shannon's producing the host feed, but Ralph's doing the world feed. He's doing it for USA Network. It's probably on in several other countries. Ralph's in charge of that. As you know, Bryn, one of the big bugaboos between the league and television, not so much now, but it used to be, was breaks and starting times when's the puck going to get dropped we agree to 707 next thing you know they're dropping the puck at 705 it's a gong show i'm down on the campbell conference bench to help coordinate the pregame ceremony because it's very important to ralph ralph knows this is key for the world feed everybody goes to break they're going to come back from break john shannon says we're back ralph says we're not back and i look up and Andy Van Hellemans at center ice. And Wayne Gretzky's drifting in from one side. And Brent Sutter, I think, was drifting in from the Wales Conference side. And all... Oh God, I can still hear his voice at this minute. He, Ralph screams at me. And I'm standing at the gate at the Campbell Conference bench. Kid, I don't give a... Insert whichever word you'd like here, but it's not a dictionary word. They can't drop the puck. Now, I have... Two seconds to make a decision. Yeah. So I yell, Andy, Andy. Andy's not going to hear me. Andy's, you know, 40 feet away. Yeah. The next thing I think is if I step on the ice, he can't drop the puck. So I step, I take off my headset and I start walking on the ice (laughs) to center ice. And if you watch the game tape, you can actually see me do this. If if they recorded the uh, rink output, I'm walking to center ice and I get to the big circle. And finally, Andy looks up. And he looks at me like, what in the hell are you doing out here? And I yell at him, you can't drop the puck. World's not back. And he goes, oh, okay, let me know. I said, you got it. (laughs) Now I turn and I'm walking back. And now is the first time I think, what in the hell am I doing on the ice surface? So I'm walking back in my dress shoes and I'm shuffling back. And as I get back, I think, if I don't step on the bench, he can't drop the puck. So I stop about three feet and I'm still on the ice and he's looking at me and I hear Ralph go two, one. All right, we're back. I've, I give Andy the double, the double point, like in the movie airplane, where they want to move the plane. I turn, I hop over the boards because I was very lithe in those days and I put on my headset and all I hear Ralph say is good job, kid. And I'm like, and now I can die. I can die right now. Wow.
3: (laughs)
2: Great story. That's fantastic. Hey, there's a couple of innovation things here. One is, uh, and I saw a quote, and this is years ago from Al Michaels, because Al Michaels was doing the broadcast, The Miracle on Ice in Lake Placid in 1980. Uh, Do you believe in miracles? Ken Dryden was doing color on that broadcast. Who was looking after things behind the scenes? Was
0: it Ralph? Ralph was there. I don't know what his specific role would have been. Ralph worked on a number of Olympics. I know in Calgary in 88, he had a, a very large role because once he, he would still it with Hockey Night in 1980 and Hockey Night was perceived as the world leader in hockey broadcasting. Right. So when you were doing a feed like the Olympics, uh, people from Hockey Night would be involved, Ralph being one of them.
2: And, and the, the comment that I heard from Al Michaels was uh, what a, you know, what a talented innovator he was in terms of uh, hockey broadcasts and how much he had input into the broadcast that they were doing on ABC. And, and, you know, that, I mean, that was not to say Al Michaels wouldn't have gone on and done great things. Cause he's certainly done that, but he still looks back at that, that broadcast in particular and uh, gives a big thumbs up. And I know Ralph Mellenby got a big thumbs up from him, but some of the other things too, Don Cherry, Don Cherry. uh, I don't want to say get discovered by Ralph, but Ralph took a look at him and said, this guy might actually work on TV. That worked out pretty good.
0: Yeah. So the thing about Ralph that always strikes me is Ralph, if you ever told Ralph, you couldn't do something or or we should Ralph, that was just, not a phrase he ever used. Like Ralph, and there are other producers like this. John Shannon is like this too. If you can think of it, we can do it. I, I may not know this instant how we do it. I might not know in 10 minutes how we do it. But if we can think of it, we can do it. That was Ralph in spades. So when Ralph saw Dawn, Ralph looked at things differently. I think all good producers look at things differently than 99% of other people. Ralph looked at things differently. So when he saw Don, oh man, here's this rube who's just been piped by Colorado. What's he (laughs) going to do on the air? Yeah. And then Ralph had this amazing um, ability to convince you you could do anything because I guarantee you Don said to him, I can't do that. And Ralph said, shut up. Put on the microphone, sit in front of the camera, tell us what you're thinking and don't, this is the key, don't worry about anything else. We'll take care of everything else. You're just going to tell Dave Hodge sitting beside you what, what you're thinking. Don't think it through. Just tell us what you're thinking. The best analysts have always done that. John Madden does that. Tony Romo does it now. Ralph was, um, he, as a salesman, Ralph was second to none when it came to people.
3: <laughs> this, this rube who just got piped <laughs> by Colorado. <laughs>
0: Hey, and
2: another thing too is that Howie Meeker, who we you know we've lost recently, has this telestrator. And back it up, fellas, back it up right there. He he was encouraged to do that by Ralph,
0: right? Oh, a hundred percent. But it, the the trick is, we didn't always hockey and I didn't always have the technology to do that. You can't right. back up a two inch tape machine. You could only back up a one inch machine or a disc, which is it. it I didn't even know how to describe what a disc was. It could record 30 seconds and then it recorded over it. Those two could back up and rock on the air. The other ones couldn't, but Ralph didn't care whether there was a glitch or a, it was just so new and so innovative. Jeez, how he won the Calder trophy, how he won a Stanley cup. He coached in the national league. Ralph just said,
3: look, just tell me what you want to tell me. We'll work around you. And that's what they did. Those were Those were fabulous segments. I mean, it didn't work half the time, like you say, but Howie, just a second, back it up there. I can't do the impression, but that was watching the Canucks games for one and even national games. That was a highlight for me. Like He made made this a big deal and it became a big deal. Now the technology is worlds away, but that was our first glimpse at it. And that was really cool. And you can have anybody
0: run a Telestrator. But once they understand what entertainment is and how to entertain at the same time, that's when you get something special. That's what Howie understood. That's what John Madden and Tony Romo and anybody else doing that job who's really, really good. They understand what that role is. It's to inform and entertain. If you're not informing and entertaining, F, capital F, that's never going to change.
2: How involved was he in Peter Puck? I heard Peter Puck's name come up. That was on the NBC broadcast way back in the day. But for somebody who has no idea what Peter Puck is, and they think it's Peter Pucklington, you got to go back, Google it, take a look at those Peter Puck cartoons. But Hanna-Barbera actually did the cartoons. Somebody there, somebody was working in concert with one another to come up with that one.
0: Ralph never let anything stand in the way of a good idea so he started with hockey night in 66 i don't know exactly what his involvement with peter puck was i know that he and brian McFarlane, who hosted hockey night forever until harold ballard kicked him out of the building i I know they worked on peter puck together but i think that ralph understood the scope of how you can entertain and inform it's not a it's not linear it's a wide wide berth and you can, you can take whatever expanse you want in the middle of that berth. We don't have to go, be so narrow. We can do something that's animated. We can do a telestrator. We can do showdown and intermission. We can do all kinds of things that our viewers are going to love. And it's going to help them understand and enjoy the game. He was, he was a master at that.
3: Steve, for his career, and this isn't necessarily the measure of a career. It's one of them five Emmys up here known for hockey, but there was the, 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 uh, Olympics in 88. There was some baseball. Uh, there was some CFL, uh, was hockey clearly his best. That's his stamp. When you look back in the, in the history books, 20 years from now, it's a good point. I think it is Robin only because he took hockey night,
0: you know, for, Whenever Hockey Night went on the air, 1952 until 66, George Retzlaff uh, was the gentleman's name. He was basically Hockey Night. He directed and produced the show at the same time. Ralph was the first executive producer for Hockey Night in Canada. And he basically said, hey, this show's pretty good. But you know what? We're going to make it great. And I can guarantee he probably used those very same words in a million meetings. And as soon as you heard the speech from Ralph, you understood that you were going to go from here on the ladder right to the top and there is no idea that we're not going to look at that we're not going to discuss that we're not going to try to make great and that's what ralph did for hockey night i was honored to work with him for the five years that i did in in the varying roles
2: a couple of things before we let you roll because i know it's a busy day for you dave hodge throws his pencil in the air was that (laughs) after ralph had left or was ralph part of that whole episode with the 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 frustration being vented by uh, by Dave Hodge, who had some very complimentary things to say about Ralph. Where does Ralph fit into that? Was he gone by then?
0: Now, Bren, you already know the answer to this question. Do you think Ralph Mellenby would let Hockey Night in Canada cut away from an overtime game? to no. do? There would have been World War Seven before Ralph ever let that crap happen. And I can tell you that the litany of executive producers who succeeded ralph after he left was a pale variety of ralph a very it was ralph light times 50 there was nobody like ralph melondy
2: the throwing of the pencil though by dave hodge to me was uh, th- that was really ralph was it not because <laughs> it, it, that, that to me that was right re- that would have
0: been ralph doing that well, sure, because if Ralph had been in the studio, David would have said, Ralph, what the hell are they doing? And Ralph would have said, well, this isn't going to happen, David. And he'd have turned and walked out. And two minutes yeah. later, he'd have come back and said, yeah, that problem solved. And that's it. That would be the whole discussion with Ralph. So Ralph had no part of that dog and pony show.
2: Dave has been Ralph trained. I, I always felt that we were seeing Ralph Mellenby's reaction, not just Dave Hodges. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, this has been great. Thanks for your time today. We'll have you on again, and we'll talk about other stuff, and we'll talk about how antiseptics TV sports is getting, all that kind of stuff. And uh, see, here's what I love about podcasts. We can say shit. Well, we can say shit, but we can also
0: say shit, right? It's a a whole new world we live in. It is. It is, Bryn. And you know what? I'm going to pay for everything I said in spades, I'm sure, in the coming weeks, and I don't even care anymore. I don't care. That's what podcasts do. They make you not care, man.
2: Thanks for your time, Steve. This has been great. Long overdue. My pleasure, gentlemen.
1: Take care. You know,
2: taking a look at the weather forecast. Normally, it would be the longest. You know, the longest game of hockey. And normally, when it's the longest game of hockey at Brent Sake's location sakers acres it's uh, it's bone chillingly cold now you know in edmonton in the winter it's going to be cold but at least the forecast looks promising for a big event that's coming up this weekend robin and and uh, you and i've been talking about it it's exciting are you pumped up about it
3: well absolutely i mean first of all nobody's gonna have to be there for 10 days uh <laughs> when it's 30 below as anybody who's been connected with the game has seen a time or two. Um, And, you know, it's for a great project going on right here in Edmonton. So, yeah, I'm excited uh, about it happening and Hey, decent weather. It's going to be great.
2: And a different cause too. Kate Gallagher joins us on the outsiders today. Hello, Kate. You certainly, uh, you're making us look a lot better just by seeing your happy face this morning.
4: Hello, fellas. Good to join you.
2: Okay, well, let's tell everybody what's going on this weekend.
4: So on February 4th, this Friday, we've got the Legends for Lungs uh, alumni hockey game. So we've got the Habs alumni and the others alumni facing off. Uh, Should be a fun game. And we're raising money for Alberta Lung and uh, breathing space, which breathing space is going to be Canada's first lung health and recovery house.
2: I gotta love, I gotta say I love that. I think it's fantastic. and And once again, we're at a venue that is uh, no stranger. And you're no stranger to this location either at Sakers Acres, Brent Saken and his his crew do an unbelievable job with the outdoor arena, do they not?
4: Oh, yeah, yeah. I was there last year. I actually lived on site for those eleven days in what I call my ice locker uh camper van <laughs> so i think the weather is looking a lot better than it was for world's longest last year and and uh these guys they only have to play for three 15 minute periods not 11 days so i think they'll be able to handle it
3: now now kate before we talk about the game and some of the players who who'll be coming in uh tell people who might not know what this breathing space project is my understanding is. It's going to be the first of its kind, not just in the province, but anywhere in Canada. And specifically, uh, talk about the importance of having this kind of space for uh, lung transplant uh, patients and their families.
4: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Robin. So it is going to be the first facility of its kind in Canada, um, and it will be used and accessed by lung patients, lung transplant patients um, across Canada. So it's not just accessible for people in Edmonton or Alberta. So that's why it's it's super important. And, and what's happening is that um, lung transplant patients right now, they, they experience tremendous financial stress when they have to go through the lung transplant program and they have to quit their jobs. They have to, um, you know, find ways to, Um, be able to afford to come to Edmonton uh, for a transplant Mm -hmm. and pay for accommodations, uh, pay for their families to survive while they're not able to work. And so this will alleviate all of that stress. And it's, um, you know, the transplant program in Edmonton is is ranked second in Canada and sixth in the world. And, um, you know, surprisingly, one in five Albertans and one in five Canadians are living with lung disease. So it's extremely important, and um, you know, will just provide an incredible support for all lung patients across Canada.
2: And of course, you know, when we're talking about the lungs, COVID is uh, is something we got to talk about briefly. I know people are sick and tired about talking about COVID, but it the one the one organ that is affected the most by COVID is the lungs. So uh, so obviously, there's a great sense of awareness. Uh, around all of this and the fact that, you know what, you got to be able to breathe, Kate, right?
4: Absolutely. It's, it's very important. And I know that uh, Alberta lung has seen a significant increase in, in uh, lung patients since COVID began. Yeah.
3: Kate, give us an idea of uh, who's coming. I talked to you a week or so ago and uh, wrote a, a brief item at Oilers nation about it. People can see that uh, at the website, but uh, you know, there's, there's uh, the alumni is coming and there's a handful of players who were here back in 2003, uh, either playing for the regular Oilers and Canadians or in one case, even playing for the old timers way back then uh, that'll be here for this game. I mean, that when you talk about cold, that was a day that qualified, everybody remembers. It was a wonderful, spectacular event this is more of an ode to that without it being on the same scale. But tell us a little bit about some of the people who are going to be here playing in the game.
4: Yeah, we've got an exciting uh, lineup um, coaching for the Oilers alumni, obviously, is our, our good friend, Kaylo Kevin Lowe. So we're excited to have him on the bench and also a, a good friend of ours, um, uh, Staffy Barry Stafford, is going to be helping mm-hmm. out on the bench as well. Then we've got the greats, uh, Glenn Anderson, um, Gord Bamford. Uh, He's a part of the alumni. He's going to be playing, hopefully, with his cowboy hat on, as he usually does. Um, Kyle Brodziak, who also played in World's Longest Hockey Game. Uh, Sean Brown, uh, Shane Corson, Louis DeBrusque, George Larac, Fernando Pisani, Ben Scrivens, Jason Strudwick. Um, We also have a couple of of amateur guys that um have donated to play on the uh, oilers team one of them one of which actually played in world's longest hockey game as well so that's our oilers lineup and then for the habs we've got uh and you know forgive me with the pronunciation of the uh
2: that's all right give it your best shot <laughs> okay. come on i want to okay, hear guys, this
4: i might get uh uh, persecuted for this prosecuted but uh we've got coach Yvonne Lambert
2: yes. okay hang on Yvon Lambert. Yes, Yvonne okay.
4: Lambert I am yes. I am from Ontario so I should yes, be
2: that's okay we're good
4: uh Sean Bell yes. uh Jesse Belanger Mathieu yes. Dandeneau
2: yep
4: uh yep. Lucien De
3: DeBlois. Uh, Deblois
4: Normand yep. Dupont yep. uh, Eric Hood
3: Yes. Yes.
4: Uh, Mike Keen, Oleg yeah. Petrov, Richard Sevigny, and Mike Weaver.
2: Richard Sevigny.
4: Sevigny. Yeah. yes. I
2: think. I, hey, I think you did fantastic. Not bad, right.
4: Yeah. And then we've Not got bad. a couple of uh, real Habs fans. Uh, that are flying in from Winnipeg that have also donated to play on the Habs teams. There are two, two friends, um, that are coming into town to play on the Habs teams that have donated significantly to play. So.
2: Can we botch their names up? Are they, are they basic names or you don't want to No, I'm just
3: kidding. <laughs> let's,
4: let's, uh, hey, it, it,
3: those, that was pretty good. I mean, I've Thank heard you. Some, I think you uh, did well. well. Now you mentioned the two spots on each team, uh, Kate And I don't know if you said both of them were taken, but those are those are paid spots. Those are one of the one of the ways that you're raising money for the project. Correct. Talk about the parameters that the group is working with uh, for fundraising, because, you know, that's the object of the exercise. It's great to see all these guys get together. But, you know, getting in this breathing space project completed is is the purpose so in terms of sponsorship in terms of ways to donate uh in terms of uh what you can do and where you can go to donate um please let people know how they can do that
4: yes you bet so we um we have limited capacity to attend the event obviously so we're uh practically sold out of tickets so tickets are not uh i think i've 10 left actually uh as of today um, but we will be uh, streaming the game live on Oilers.com website. Um, we have a text to donate number set up so you can text alumni to 20222 to donate. And we've got an online auction going on until February 6 on Bidbeacon. So you can uh, head, out, head over to Bidbeacon and, and join the auction. We've got some incredible... Um, items all every every jersey that a, the players players are wearing through the game we're going to be auctioning those off they're going to be signed we've got a Habs team signed jersey Oilers team signed, signed jersey a skate with the stars um a dinner for 10 at uh, Sorrentino's so we've got some great items there and then the EOCF Emmett Toilers Community Foundation will be doing a 50-50 for us uh the day of our game excellent
2: marvelous hey um you're involved in so much of this stuff. How are you holding up?
4: I'm good. You know, it's been uh, it's been an interesting couple of years uh, with COVID, but yeah. um, you know, it's it's incredible to see how much the uh, Edmonton, Alberta community uh, continues to support and and how generous um, the community is and in supporting a lot of the charities that we work with.
2: And before we let you go, because somebody might download this after the event. So how can people still get involved, Kate, even though the event may have gone by?
4: Yeah, I think the the text to donate, the text alumni to 20222 will, you know, those funds will go directly to support Breathing Space. And you can go to Alberta Lung, sorry, ablung.ca. And um, there's lots of ways uh, that you'll find on on their website uh, to continue to support after the game.
2: The forecast for Friday is around plus three to plus five. What was the coldest day when you were doing the longest game of hockey? Do you remember your coldest day?
4: Oh God. I think with the wind at one point, it got to minus 42. So uh, some of these players are are trying to complain about the weather and I'm just telling them to suck it up and they'll be fine for three 15 minute periods.
2: (laughs) Excellent, man. That's cold. Hey, uh, (laughs) Keep up the great work. You do fantastic work in the community. Thanks for all of that.
4: Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. We're going to have to go right to ludicrous speed. (gasps) Ludicrous speed?
0: Sir, we've never gone that fast before. I don't know if the ship can take
2: it. This has just been a crazy, crazy, you said it was the Outsiders Raw. It's a little different today. I will give you that. We don't have our usual music beds or anything. It's, It's really, it's kind of a rough cut version. But we've had some fun guests on today. That's for sure. It was great talking with AJ. I thought, uh, I thought Steve Lansky was fantastic talking about Ralph Mellenby. And it was great to check in with Kate Gallagher as well about a big event coming up in Edmonton this weekend. So uh, that's pretty much it. Hey, anything on, on your mind that you want to talk about today? I, I know that it was crazy. We saw NFL playoffs. We now see who's going to be in the Super Bowl coming up here very quickly. And it's uh, the very surprising Cincinnati, or Cincinnati Bengals will be taking on the uh, the Los Angeles Rams. I'm kind of looking forward to it because uh, Matthew Stafford ha- had been paying the price for playing in Detroit for so long and now actually has a shot at it with the Rams. That'll be fun to watch. And the, and the Bengals, the Cincinnati Bengals, man, have just been a sad sack team for a very, very long time. And uh, they're icky shuffling their way into the Super Bowl. So I, I just think it's fantastic and I'm looking forward to watching it.
3: You know, Bryn, normally when you ask this, um, I would go to something we hadn't talked about previously. Uh, But I've I've got to say this, having AJ on uh, and being the age I am, when I see the the flags waving and the young people jumping around uh, over this World Cup qualifying, you have to remember 30, you know, 36 years. I know a long time. So with all the crap that's going on in the world right now and the things that, you know, you can be negative about, I would say this, no matter what your age and the older people will understand this already, but the younger people enjoy this ride for as long as it lasts, because you don't know when it's going to come again So that's my old man moment right there, but have fun and enjoy the moment because there's no guarantees you get another one down the road. Coming up, I'm guessing on our next episode, we'll
2: have about a week and a half of Evander Kane under our belt with the Edmonton Oilers. We can get to that as well. He's off to a pretty good start, Uh, but we'll talk about it. Let's, uh, Let's give him a couple of weeks to get his feet under himself a little bit and fans can kind of see what he's got on the ice, and then we can kind of go from there. I can't, I'm trying to think. hey, also coming up in the next few weeks, Victor Kui was announced as the new president of the Edmonton Elks and has done a fabulous job of winning people over with a lot of his comments, in particular on social media and those platforms. We're looking to get Victor on our podcast and also Chris Jones at some point as well. So we are going to focus a little bit on
3: the Edmonton Football Club. I'm glad you brought that up because when you asked me if there was anything more, I'm trying to think of, are there any more receivers approaching their 40th (laughs) birthday that uh, Edmonton might be signing? Hey, going back to the good old days is not a bad idea in some ways. I just didn't know they were going to do it with the age of the receivers. They were signing. Well, it doesn't mean those guys are going to make it.
2: But what they might do is they might come in and work with the young guys. Uh, yeah. uh, I, hey, listen, I, I have a lot of confidence in Chris Jones. I don't necessarily like the way he does things at times. Yeah. I'd love to get him on our podcast, and I think we're going to be able to do that. And uh, and I think Victor Quee is already off to a great con- – you heard the comments about Dwayne Mandrusiak, right? Yes. So something is gonna happen there. I feel confident about that. We've talked about Joey Moss. We can bring it up. There's lots, it's it's a more positive situation than I think we were at with this football team about two months ago. Absolutely. So at least that's my take on it. But you in know. every
3: way, in in every way it is. Yes.
2: Okay. Uh that's pretty much it for this strange episode because, like I said, it's just a little unique. I don't even know if I've got our you know, I'm not even sure I have our traditional music out, so I'm going to find something. I'm going to put it in there for sure, and we'll just see everybody and talk to everybody next week. Is that okay with you? Sounds
3: good to me, man.
1: In the castle proceeding was recorded earlier because we were ashamed to do it now